Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today, the Gospel reading, the 24th chapter chapter of St. Luke, these verses. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and he walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. But a few weeks ago, a news anchor on one of the television networks with a large foreclosure crisis sign behind her started off the evening broadcast by saying, quote, Good evening, everyone. It's one of the worst things that can happen to a family, but it's happening to more and more in this country. They're losing their homes to foreclosure. The mortgage industry reported today that the foreclosure rate in the final quarter of 2007 hit an all-time high of 0.83%. The American dream is slipping away, unquote. Now, those may indeed be high levels of foreclosure, but the American dream is hardly slipping away when 99.17% are not in foreclosure. Not to minimize the economic challenges of our times and a lot of our families during these times and it may get worse before it gets better. But we need to put the hard and the troubling facts into a bigger perspective, don't we? We need to put them in their context so that we can see the bigger picture of things. We need to see the details so often in the larger pictures of things, otherwise we can't see the whole forest for the trees, as the old saying goes. Otherwise, the bad news that we perceive things to be in the individual circumstances of life becomes so domineering over our thinking that we can't see the greater good that is so often being worked in the bigger picture of things. And how often that happens, not only in the financial world and the financial end of things, but how often it happens also in so many other areas of life where we don't see that bigger picture and we think then that the bad news is the predominant thing that we see. Even though all the while something good is on the horizon, something good is right there staying in our face intrinsically and sinfully, we doubt the multitude of God's promises to us. And we get so caught up in what we perceive at the moment in time because of circumstances to be the downside of life that we can't see the upside that God has promised. We can't see what God has said and believe what God has said to be true, not only of the now, but also of that which is to come. And no matter if it's speaking of things in the area of health or things in the area of finances or in our lives as we relate to one another, we so often doubt the promises of God and forget the promises of God. Not that it's anything new to us. Look at the two disciples in our text for today. Here they are, as the text tells us, they're walking along the seven-mile stretch between Jerusalem and the small town of Emmaus. They're talking with each other, our text says, about everything that had happened during the course of the days before them. Note it also says that their faces were downcast. That tells us about their attitude of what was happening in those days that were around them and the days that had come before this day, their faces were downcast. A description that portrays their emotional state of mind at the time. 
They were downcast as they reviewed in their own minds and with each other the events of the previous days. They were downcast because they couldn't imagine how good could possibly come out of what was happening. They were downcast because they couldn't see the whole forest for the tree, the phenomenal forest of God's eternal blessings that were going to come to them and to all people because of the single tree of the cross, which they had seen and experienced. Downcast because they were so preoccupied with the thought of all the bad news as they perceived it to be of Jesus' death, that they were totally missing the good news that was there to be found in the reason for his dying and what he accomplished by his death and the good news that was certified by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that he had foretold even before he did. You see, earlier that day, those disciples had been with the other disciples of our Lord. They knew that Peter and John, at the bidding of Mary Magdalene, remember, had investigated the tomb and had returned to report that the tomb was indeed empty. They'd heard that report about the tomb being empty. But they weren't thinking emptiness because of resurrection. They were thinking emptiness because they thought that someone had removed the body of Jesus from the tomb. Theft. Even as Mary Magdalene herself had thought, these two disciples had left Jerusalem for Emmaus before the time of the day when the women had come running to the disciples with the phenomenal news that they had actually seen with their own eyes the Lord Jesus Christ, that they had seen him risen from the dead. And so at this point, for these two disciples on this road, it was a most disconcerting day. The body of Jesus was really missing from the tomb. No one had, to their knowledge, actually seen him alive, and so they assumed him to be dead, despite the promises that he made that he would rise again on the basis of their experiences in life, putting those over the word and the promises of God, they assumed him to be dead. And so they were downcast because they were trusting in their own interpretation and experiences instead of the promises of God. And frankly, these two disciples obviously weren't of a frame of mind that would have believed him to be alive, even if someone had said that they had seen him. Their disposition was such that they wouldn't believe it. In fact, they saw him, didn't they? They did see him themselves with their very own eyes. They saw him alive, and still they didn't even recognize him for who he was. There they were, talking with each other about all these things, our text says. And what does it say after that? That Jesus came up and he walked along with them. And they don't even recognize him. They don't know who he is. They just assume, again, based on their experiences, that he must be one of the many pilgrims that had been visiting Jerusalem during those Passover days. But lest we be too hard on these two men, we should also keep in mind that others were as blind as they were to the resurrected presence of our Lord Jesus Christ because of the doubts, the sinful doubts of their own minds. Remember Mary Magdalene? What did she suppose? She supposed, on the basis of her experience again, 
contrary to the word of God? She supposed that when she heard the voice of Jesus, she supposed that it was indeed the voice of the gardener. Where have you taken my Lord? Tell me so that I might go and take care of him. And all the other disciples previously, where were they? They would be all out fishing. Remember that later on, they'd be out fishing in the lake. And Jesus would be there on the seashore and seeing then that stranger on the shore. And even later that very day when Jesus would appear to all of his gathered disciples in Jerusalem, what was their reaction? Whether it was seeing him from on the shore or seeing him in the upper room, what was their reaction when Jesus physically and visibly appeared unto them? They thought they were seeing a ghost, a gardener, a stranger, a pilgrim, a ghost. Now in trying to explain this inability of the disciples to recognize Christ, some people would have you believe that the body of Jesus that appears to the disciples after his death was different, a different body than the one that hung upon the cross of Calvary and was buried in the tomb. That the soul of Jesus had assumed some other physical form that the disciples didn't recognize and that's why they didn't see him for who he was. But that can't be. That's a denial of the resurrection of our Lord. That would be belief in reincarnation and the soul of one who has departed then occupying another body. It wouldn't be resurrection of a body that had been placed into the grave and we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in our own resurrection in due time, not reincarnation. Know that the body of Jesus was the same body that had been on the cross, that the body of Jesus was the same body that had been buried in the tomb, that it was, that was so evident from the fact that the resurrected Christ appeared to his disciples and in their presence, remember, what did he do? We heard it last week in the gospel. He charged Thomas to put his finger into the nail print in his hand that had been there for the crucifixion. It was the same body to put his hand into his side and to feel the mark where the spear had entered in on the cross, the same body resurrected again from the dead. Indeed, a glorified body to be sure. A body that could indeed do supernatural things like passing through a door, glorified as it was, but it was still most certainly recognizable as the same body that had been on the cross of Calvary, the same body that they had carried to and placed within the tomb, and yet they didn't recognize him. Why? Why didn't they recognize him? They don't recognize him because they are by their very sinful nature. Again, predisposed to base everything upon their own experiences rather than upon the word of God that endures, as St. Peter says in our epistle lesson for today, the word of God that endures forever. They were predisposed to believe what was happening before their very eyes. They are so preoccupied with the seemingly tragic events of the prior two days that they can't possibly imagine that any good can possibly come from what had happened in those days. Just as Mary was so preoccupied with her own sorrow that she didn't recognize Christ in the garden near the tomb. Or just as the disciples fishing out in the lake sometime later are so preoccupied with what they were doing and returning to the, the work they were doing out there in the boat that they don't recognize the risen Christ for who he is when he appears on the shore. 
how easy it is for all of them, and how easy it is for all of us to be so preoccupied with things in this world that we forget again about the promises of God, that we forget again about what, what God has done in Christ. To get so preoccupied with mulling over and over in our minds the unexpected events that come into our lives and befall us even as it did to the Emmaus disciples and become so preoccupied with those things that we forget the promises of God. So preoccupied with our sorrows at the grief of death, at the death of someone we love as Mary was, or all the work that awaits us like the other disciples when they were casting their nets out at sea, how easy it is for us all to have minds so preoccupied with the ordinary and the expected things in life's experiences, with the negative things in life's experiences, that we can't see the positively extraordinary things that God is doing right before our eyes. How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe, Jesus says, all that the prophets have spoken to you. Jesus told that to the two Emmaus disciples. He says the same thing to us in our doubts. Did not Christ have to suffer these things that he did and only then enter into glory? The living, the suffering, and the dying, and the rising of our Lord Jesus Christ were all divine necessities. Divine necessities if divinity was going to atone for the sins of humanity and reconcile the world again unto God. It could be no other way. Man may not see that. God knew it. Man couldn't do anything about it. God did. And he did it in the sun. While all the world wept, the victory was being won. The living, the suffering, the dying, the rising of our Lord were all those divine necessities. And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them, using all of the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Ironically, people throughout the ages and even in our own very day long for visions, don't they? They want to have visions to certify what they think. A vision for this, a vision for that. That through these visions, their faith in God might be somehow confirmed, that it might be somehow verified. And yet, think about it. The two disciples on the Emmaus Road had so much more than visions. They had right there in front of them the very visible presence of Christ himself and right there in front of them, a presence that unlike visions could be touched. You don't claim to touch visions, but right there they could touch what was before them. They could tangibly hold the very flesh of Jesus, touch it and hold it, that was right before them. Not only see it and hear it, but touch it and hold it. And yet, note this well, though they had that right there before them, it's not not the visual presence of Christ that opened their eyes to that which was right there before them. What was it, as our text says, that made their hearts burn within them as they were walking along that road? Not the physical 
visible presence, I should say, of Jesus, but rather in their own words, they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You want to know that in our day and age, the risen Lord Jesus Christ is with you, with you in your times of bewilderment and confusion as he was with those Emmaus disciples in their times of bewilderment and confusion? You want to know that he's with you in your times of sadness and sorrow as he was with Mary Magdalene in her day of sadness and sorrow? You want to know that he's with you when you're afraid for the future as were those frightened disciples who were gathered in the upper room with you as you confront the challenges of everyday life, even as he was with the disciples who later returned to their nets and their boats. You want to know the risen Christ is with you today? Then look for him where he's promised to be found. Look for him in his word, because that's where he said he would be. And then after his word has caused our hearts also to burn within us as it caused the hearts of the Demaeus disciples to burn within them, then we too, as they did, will also recognize him right here in the breaking of the bread. They, in an ordinary evening meal that they shared with him, they reminded them of that night in which he was betrayed when he broke the bread. We, in the blessed sacrament right here of his very body and blood where he here and now comes to us, You want to know where faith meets Jesus? Faith meets Jesus over there in the water of the fonts. Faith meets Jesus here in the word that is heard. Faith meets Jesus right there in bread and in wine. Because that's where in our day, despite visible presence, he most certainly is present in all of his blessed reality. He who walked along the road with them will also walk along the road of life with each of us. And as he does, may he often hear us pray that Emmaus prayer. Stay with us, Lord. Stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.